Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. In today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Amy Wilson. Amy has gone from primary school classrooms onto the bodybuilding stage and now spends most of her time helping her clients on the gym floor and online. Amy's journey is a truly fascinating one. She was the 2016 Miss Universe. Yes, you heard that correctly. And one year later, she had a potentially life-threatening brain illness, and now she is thriving, putting her health front and center while she inspires others to do the same. In this conversation, you can expect to learn what it takes to become Miss Universe. I don't know how my ego would handle that. Why in some cases it can be productive to gain body fat and her top tips to have success on your journey this January. So without further ado, Amy Wilson. Amy Wilson, welcome to the show. How are you today? Yeah, really good. Thanks. How are you? I am very, very well. Thank you so much for being here. So for anyone who doesn't know you or your story, can you share a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Um, so I'm sort of probably a bodybuilder turned personal trainer. So that's kind of how I got into fitness and how I sort of started my career in fitness, now working and based in Dubai, doing a combination of one-to-one and online training. Very nice. So where did your bodybuilding journey begin? Let's start there. Mine was actually after university. So I'd kind of always been into sports, being like, you know, the token kid who just gets put on every sports team because I'm tall or <laughs> like <laughs> averagely fast. And yeah, so I was always sporty through school, went to university and did the whole sort of partying, eating pizza, put on quite a bit of weight. And after that kind of got into going to the gym for the first time ever. And yeah, just realized I was actually quite strong, quite athletic um, got a personal trainer and just really loved it. And from there, kind of trained with friends and basically got like bullied into doing a bodybuilding competition by a few of my friends, but ended up doing quite well. And it was just one of those things, you know, when you, you think, actually, this is quite fun. I seem to be doing all right here, and kind of went from there. That's pretty awesome. And when you first went into the gym, was it quite an intimidating experience? Was it something you felt quite comfortable going in? Because a lot of people, when they first go in, especially you said you were over, maybe a bit overweight after your days of partying and eating. So how did you feel in your first time going into the gym? Yeah, it's daunting. I think it's something that a lot of people still find now. Obviously, I know as a female as well, gyms are still predominantly male. It's become a lot more female friendly. But yeah, it's definitely intimidating when you go into like the weights area. 
I know I sort of started doing classes like the body pump and that kind of thing just to just to get the confidence with weight training I remember going on to the like muscle and fitness and bodybuilding.com and downloading training plans I was then trying to work through myself and YouTubing exercises so yeah I think I think it's just a scary experience for anyone really I know like as PT and I know a lot of my male clients are as intimidated if not more so than a lot of the girls I know about going into gyms for the first time yeah absolutely i agree and what key things would you give uh people advice like what did you do personally obviously you said you went on bodybuilding.com you got an awareness yeah. of what to do but um what would you what advice would you give for people who are a bit hesitant to go into the gym for the first time i'd say most importantly just kind of have that plan yeah and just yeah just remember that nobody really cares what you're doing i was thinking i was saying to my clients as well like when you go into the gym if you look in the gym 60 70 percent of people are staring at themselves in the mirror like they've got their headphones on they honestly have no idea what you're even doing um so it's kind of just remember that you're there for you put your music on and just have a bit of a structure to follow because otherwise it's terrifying if you literally are just floating around seeing what's free yeah no i completely agree sometimes even i you probably get this as well especially in the gyms in dubai you go up to a machine you're like i don't even know how this works and you feel like yep. floating around <laughs> it you're like oh just so that that plan can really help you a you know where you're going you get time to actually work out the machine that you're on and you're completely right i think that either like you said 60 70 percent are probably thinking the same thing you are they're either very just nervous about being there and the other yeah. 20 30 percent are maybe people like us who have been there for a while and we're definitely not going to judge new people. And then maybe there's that 1% yeah. who's potentially judging the person, but that's, you know, very much their problem. And I don't see that a lot personally. I don't think I do. Do no. you see that a lot in gyms? No, not really. And I think it's usually it's that 1%. They're usually the ones that actually have the worst form and the worst technique because they 100%. do think they know it all. <laughs> no, I completely agree. And then you said you took to bodybuilding and weight training. You said you were quite good at it. Talk to me about that. So how did you know that you were good at it? I've seen obviously your physique at this stage. So did you start putting on muscle quickly? Did you start getting really strong quickly? What did that process look like? Yeah, I think a combination of both. I've always been, I've always had like a ridiculous appetite. I could put away <laughs> a worrying amount of food. Um, so I think that combined with maybe like a little bit of genetic ability as well. Like I've got quite a sporting background. My dad used to play, play football professionally. So I must have some genetic element there as well. Yeah, and I just enjoyed it. I think with weight training in particular, it's one of the few things where... I think I'm very focused on what I'm doing and probably linking back to going up to those machines and not really knowing how to work them and not really knowing what you're doing. You're really focused on that as opposed to focusing on everything else that's going on around you, everything else in, in your day, things you're worrying about for the week ahead. So you kind of, you're literally focused on that task ahead and it's quite therapeutic in a sense. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And then obviously the changes would have started coming to your physique as well. And a lot yeah. of people start running for the hills when they start to see a bit of muscle on their frame. <laughs> so how did you find that process? Were you just like, hey, this looks good. This feels good. Because if, you also find there's a lot of people who think that they gain muscle quickly, but the reality is that most don't. However, I think in yeah. your case, you genuinely did. So talk us through that if you can. I've always loved the look of like muscle on people. I think it's, I think it's cool. Like, I remember like Serena and Venus Williams. I think their physiques look really cool. I think they look strong. So for me, it was never something that like worried me or scared me. I've always thought, wait, <laughs> 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 actually, this is quite cool. 
And I think it was kind of when Instagram and like the fitness community and everything started blowing up a bit more. We were coming out of the size zero era where everybody wants to be tiny and have a thigh gap. And I, I guess that kind of helped as well. Like the social perception of fitness and female muscle got a lot more accepted. Yeah. Which then, yeah, when you start to find that niche. So for me, particularly on Instagram, finding that niche, I remember Googling like a lot of the female figure competitors and looking at their physiques and thinking, actually, this is a look I really like. And then it gives you something to aspire to as well. So that kind of steamrolls it. Yeah, absolutely. So it was almost like you got what you were looking for. It wasn't like the opposite. It was almost like maybe someone who did have that size zero thigh gap in mind actually achieving that size zero thigh gap. And you're like, oh, I'm going to just yeah. lean into this, right? Yeah. Plus, you just like it when you're good at something, don't you? <laughs> exactly, right? You just travel down that route. You're like, I'm holding on to this as tightly as possible, yeah. especially, as you, especially as you get older and older. Your reluctance to try new things and your, your yeah. uh, temptation to stay in the things that you're good at becomes so much stronger, right? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Cool. I want to come back to your bodybuilding experience later, but I want to talk about that transition you made to becoming a personal trainer. So what did that look like? So I used to be a primary school teacher. And before that, I worked for a mental health charity. So quite a different background. Um, And I actually quit my job to go traveling when I was teaching. It was like the final year that I was eligible for my visa. So I quit my job and was like, right, I'm going to do the Southeast Asia, Australia. Route <laughs> go find yourself. Does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it didn't go too well and I ended up getting really ill. So I don't know what happened. I had some sort of freak autoimmune illness and I developed something called autoimmune encephalitis, which is where they think you, you've got like some sort of illness that's passed into your blood brain barrier. And then as a result, your body's trying to fight the illness but because it's passed into your brain, starts attacking your own brain cells. So I was quite unwell um, when I was in Australia and had to come home, was off work for a little bit of time like during my recovery. And I think it was a combination of, I couldn't go back to work full-time, so I couldn't go back to teaching. So what I did was I actually started working just part-time doing admin in a football club. So kind of being in that sporting background. Um, and I just, I just decided that... I didn't know if I wanted to go back to teaching. I didn't know if it's probably a combination of like having the illness and sort of thinking about what I want to be doing with my life. And obviously like my background in bodybuilding, it's something I really loved. Uh, <laughs> my mom has a great story. So apparently when I came, when I came round during my illness, they asked me what I love. And my two answers, much to my mom's annoyance were Buddy, who's my dog and bodybuilding. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought, right, we've got to go with that. And we've got to take your priorities on order. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Just dogs and bodybuilding. So yeah, so I decided to go down that route. So I did like the little fast track. I think it's a two-month course or something. Fast track, of course. And um, yeah, just sort of jumped into it and figured give it a shot. So yeah, started freelancing. And yeah, just went from there. Amazing. And talk to me more about that brain illness because of the t- couple of times I've heard you speak about it, you've kind of brushed over it, but I think it's a pretty big deal, right? I'm sure like I've never heard of it before until you mentioned it. It must've been incredibly frightening to be on the opposite side of the world and become super, super unwell. I, I know you mentioned your family flew over and everything along those lines. What was that experience like from just a personal standpoint? And why is this illness not very well known? So and it's weird why it's not very well known. It's often misdiagnosed, particularly in England. So I've obviously got 
involved a little bit more with it since I was ill. So there's a charity called the Encephalitis Society and they are quite active on social media. So through that, they've got a book as well that's like printed and it's every case is so different. So it's quite difficult to kind of identify it as what it is because in my case, I I was quite out for it. So <laughs> I kind of brushed over it because I don't remember a lot of it. I don't remember like from the time period up to when I started being really ill. So mine was picked up. I just started having seizures one night and was rushed to hospital and was just out for a few days. I didn't really know what was what was wrong with me. It's often misdiagnosed as like schizophrenia. So often, yeah, so often people, it's misdiagnosed as like a mental illness because your brain is being attacked. So often your behavior can be quite erratic. Your memory can go bad, wrong-minded, your memory loss. But often people can literally live with it for years undetected and people just think that their behavior, their behavior is really off. It's really interesting. There was um, a film on Netflix as well. I don't know if it's still on. I've not watched it for a couple of years, but called Brain on Fire. And it was a really good, really good film, the way they depicted it. But again, like her experience of it was very different to mine because she kind of had the illness but was living with it. Whereas mine, it was, it kind of showed itself as the seizures quite early, which was probably really lucky. Because sure. it meant that I got the help medically. Yeah, I guess if it's not having such an impact like yours was, it probably is, is something that you maybe just put down as being a bit more forgetful and, uh, yeah. you know, just feeling a bit inconsistent with your mood. So did they diagnose it via a brain scan, was it? Um, I don't know what they did in the end. <laughs> I'm not too sure. I was out for most of it. But yeah, so I think what they do initially is they literally just throw like antibiotics, antivirals at you because it's just, we don't really know what's happening. So let's just try and attack everything and hope that some sort of revelation comes from it. But yeah, I know I was under, I was under like both the like foreign illnesses and um, the, like the mental health ward. So they were kind of both trying to work together to see if, Obviously, I'd been in Southeast Asia as well to see if I'd sort of picked anything up along the way. But yeah, no, it's interesting. It's it's really not well known as well, which it's very similar to meningitis is how I usually explain it to people. So it's basically like an inflammation of the brain. But men- meningitis tends to attack the membrane of your brain, whereas encephalitis attacks the actual brain cells. Yeah, it's pretty frightening because a lot of people will have like head trauma when they're young. They might not even mm. remember it. And then they grow up and they keep, yeah, they keep getting older and older and slowly, but surely their brain starts to just a bit like downregulate in terms of their cognitive ability. They might be a little bit yeah. inconsistent with mood. And like you said, they might end up in a mental health hospital or get diagnosed with something along those lines. When in reality, it could be a very, you know, physiological reason for the reason why their yeah. behavior is the way it is because it's the brain, right? I mean, it's scary, but it's also, it's just so, it is still a very unknown area. Like as good mm. as medicine is nowadays, it is quite unknown as to what's causing things yeah what did the recovery period look like immediately and what are the being the long-term cognitive aspect of it are you still feeling it today or no see i'm very lucky like my memory is still not a hundred percent short term i make notes of everything like i have a calendar of everything written down on there but yeah i don't really have any lasting effects my most so when like immediate recovery um i i didn't know what year it was so this happened it's like all of us at the moment now yeah (laughs) it's like covid era but yes it happened in 2017 but every single question that the hospital asked me i was convinced it was 2012 um so like prime minister 
everything about my life. I was, my mum had to take my mobile phone off of me because I kept bringing my ex-boyfriend from 2012. No yep. <laughs> Which luckily he's a really nice guy. So <laughs> <okay with> <laughs> but could have gone down really badly. Yeah. So that, that was sort of something that like the initial impact and, um, then after that, it was it was just you suffer a lot with fatigue, so it's obviously the fatigue um, side of it. I had to stay on anti-seizure medication because I had had seizures, so you had to stay on that for six months. And then just sort of not being able to work physically, um, my strength was just absolutely down. I couldn't walk for a period of time just because I was in a like bedridden for so long. So, and then kind of weakness and just getting used to walking again, which obviously impacted like training and things massively. But yeah, no, long-term wise, I've, I've been really lucky in that I haven't had too big an impact. When um, those type of things happen, I know that I personally try to do this. It's almost like you could just say, it's one of those things that happened. It's you know, unfortunate that happened to me, but I unfortunate I'm in a position now. I almost try and attach some meaning to certain situations that happen like that because of if you don't, you're almost like you could fall into a bit of a victim mentality. Fortunately, you ran with it, and obviously, the next stage of your life kind of began. Did you attach any type of meaning? Do you feel that there was a reason why that happened to you? Maybe more from a spiritual or existential reason. I wouldn't say I don't know. I wouldn't say it was a reason, but I do say it's like I always say it's one of the best things that's happened to me because I think you do it changes your perspective a little bit. You do shift shift your perspective, and I'm definitely more like prone to risk taking now because it's kind of the well, what's the worst that can happen kind of thing. Luckily, as well, I do have like a really supportive family, so you you know you've got that like support there to fall back on if anything terrible did happen. But yeah, I think you've just got to go, oh, well, you never know what's around the corner and make the most of every opportunity now. Yeah, I like that. And then obviously the new lease of life begun with you being a personal trainer. What did that transition look like? How did um, your initial stages as a personal trainer go? Was it everything you expected it to be or was it a bit of a shock to the system? Because I mean, primary school teaching and mental health charity to personal training this bit of a contrast. I mean, it's working with people, but there's certainly a contrast in terms of your day-to-day. Yeah. PTs, I think personal training's a great job, but I think people, and I did, underestimate like how demanding it is. Mm. Even just physically demanding, being on the gym floor. I've always worked six days a week. So that in itself, early mornings, the fact that you are physically moving weights around all day. Like, Was she you picking up 36 as- kilos at 5am in the morning? Yeah. <laughs> And you can be as strong as you want, but still just kind of that constant physical activity is really draining. And yeah, I think as well, just dealing with people, dealing with clients and just getting people to appreciate that it's a, it's a proper job. So like I know in my initial stages, I had issues with getting clients like with cancellations and things and they'd cancel last minute and then expect to not pay me. And just people really struggled to get their head around the fact that actually this is, this is how I paid my rent. <laughs> this is how I yeah. like, earned my living. And they couldn't just let me down last minute and be like, oh, well, we didn't train those, so I don't have to pay you. It's, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's basically setting up your own business. So there's everything else that comes along with it. It's not just going to the gym and putting people through a few sets. No, yeah, it's, it's massively underrated from that aspect as well. I know that when I first started, yeah. I think it was 2020, 2012 it was, and 
I remember going on this quote unquote business day where they just said, Hey, you know, you have to set up your own company. You have to file a tax report. And that was about as much, but they were like, <laughs> didn't mention the fact that you have to go and get all of your clients, especially what type of gym did you work in? So I worked in an LA fitness where you paid rent, you got your clients and that was pretty much it. Otherwise, you know, you st- your rent still due at the end of the month. Did you go straight into personal training? Yeah. I yeah, I literally got thrown straight in. I remember it was a funny story, actually. I was sleeping at the time and then I get this call and I wake up and he's like, Hey, I was waiting for you at the gym today. And this was the, at the time they had like these middlemen agents that took you from the personal training school you went to, to the gym. And I woke up and he's like, Hey, I thought you were starting today. I was like, I thought you said we were starting in like a month. He was like, no, I'm here today. I was like, I'll come down now. So I literally had oh, like this. No. And, and, and on the first day he was like, yeah, you, do you want to go on the, on the gym floor and go see if you can speak to a few people? And I was just, so I literally got thrown into it. So I was literally maybe, I think that was the week after my personal training course. So almost straight into it essentially. Yeah. Terrifying. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, no, I worked, so I worked in a, I was in a JD gym to start with. So we used to have to do like shifts and classes (laughs) rather than, so you've got a choice of either doing your rent or doing the sort of gym floor hours, um, which again (laughs) was just exhausting. Like I remember doing, I used to do a spin, a body, what was it? A spin, like a body attack, and then two ab classes in three hours. So, like, my morning started 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m. I'd be done by 10, but then I had to do the remainder of my shift. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just exhausted. Like, by the time I'd done those first three hours. <laughs> Uh, it's no, good, good experience for sure. I was about to say, no, I did the same thing. In fact, on the, on the gym floor, I was initially, but of course your mentality isn't like, I, I didn't come here to do this. I didn't come here to be a fitness instructor. So you're initially like wanting to get out of that. I know that, yeah, I, after maybe three months of that and doing like back to back spin classes, I was like, I'm so done with this right now. I need, yeah. to, <laughs> you know, I need to just be trained. Cause like you said, it was an exhausting. You would do like, you know, a shift, then you would go work with your clients and you might go do a spin class and everything along those lines. So yeah, no, I definitely can see what you mean. And then what, at what point were you like, you know what, I feel like I've graduated from this initial part. People are taking me seriously now. When did you get to that stage? I don't know. You know, it's weird, isn't it? I think it's kind of progressive. I think it's about finding your niche with clients as well. I think that was for me. I felt like in the beginning, you were kind of trying to cater to what your clients wanted, which obviously is what we plan to do. But I think for me, kind of things turned around when I went, right, okay, this is what I really enjoy doing and this is what I'm good at. And actually, rather than just trying to get any client I can, I need to work with people that want to achieve what I'm really good at helping them achieve rather than just, yeah. I think when you first start PTing and you, like you say, you're friends for gym floor and it's like, right, go and t- talk to people. You just want anybody. You want anybody at all who will give you money because you're working for free <laughs> during a million hours. And it's literally like, right, who's going to pay my rent for me? And then after that, you've got to be a little bit smarter and go, right, if I'm going to make this long term, it's who can I help the most? And they're the people who'll do best with you and they're the people who'll refer you to their friends because they see that you're really interested in what you're doing, you're good at it. And I think it kind of steamrolls from there. Yeah, like more so than anything, I think the initial thing was like, I didn't sign up to this to build a business. I signed up to this to work with people and train people. Like that yeah. was my passion. I, I loved doing that. And so, you know, like you said, when you're on the gym floor, there obviously is an aspect of it. you thinking about, okay, I do need to pay my rent, but also at the same time, you're just like, well, I didn't sign up to 
you know, just talk to a bunch of people. I signed up to train people. Like I want to work with people. Yeah. So yeah, once you get your first couple of fruits, it's always a nice feeling. And then, like you said, you start to develop your crowd, especially if you're enthusiastic. So I'm sure that your bodybuilding background helped with that as well. And um, in terms of the experience you had, you mentioned that you did pretty well in it. Talk to us about your competing experience because you were what, Miss Universe in 2016, was it? Yeah, when the universe. Um, yeah, there no. You go. So Miss I, Universe, that's yeah. quite a claim, isn't it? <laughs> I know. I wouldn't have an ego that wouldn't be able to. Yeah, I wouldn't have an ego that would fit through the door after being called Mister Universe. (laughs) Yeah, so I just I just did like a local competition to start with, and I came second, like by some small miracle. And then there was another competition a couple of weeks later that was again just like a local competition. So I thought I'll enter that, and I didn't do so well in that one. I think I came like seventh or something and um, for me that was what really got me going then I was like right okay like so I had something to prove so one of the a few of the girls who also competed against me had a coach so they all worked with like the same guy and I just so remember you, messaging him let me just stop you here you so you got second in your first show and you didn't even have a coach no oh no I prepped myself <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy bodybuilding.com <laughs> you can do anything <laughs> I'm talking myself out of all these clients now because I'm just telling everyone all they need to do is go to bodybuilding.com. <laughs> but yeah, no, so I, t- I prepped myself for that one, well, for the first two, which was great. It was a great experience. But I definitely sort of drove myself mental with just overthinking every little thing I did. So then I decided to get a coach. And yeah, a great coach. Worked with him for about a year and a half. And I was kind of, so we kind of decided on like my class that I was going to compete in. I already had like enough muscle for that category. So we literally did like a few months together and then just started throwing me into shows. Uh, I think I did, I think I did like eight competitions within the next sort of like 10 month period. So literally just show after show after show. And yeah, just kept qualifying for different shows, really. Yeah. So just kept on like coming top three, qualifying and kind of went through there. But yeah, it was a great experience. And then eventually ended up as Miss Universe. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) again, just kind of improving show on show. And I think for me, that was always the thing. Like I've always been really competitive and just getting your photos back. And I think that's the great thing with bodybuilding is as much as you are competing against other people, it was something that like the particular coach I worked with at that time as well, like always said to me, like I'd see a girl on stage and I'd be like, Oh, she looks really good. Like she's got more muscle than I have. And he'd be like, yes, but for you, the way that you're going to look best is like this. And it was all kind of very much focused on how to make my physique look the best it could, as opposed to sort of, well, she looks better than you do, or you look better than she does. Yeah. It's an interesting one because this is very you versus you, but there's also other people in the stage that you're technically competing against, right? So yeah. I can I can understand where you can get yeah, a little bit more concerned with looking around you, but actually there's nothing you can do about those around you, right? So it does come back to looking at yourself. So if you had to nail it down to two or three things, what does it take to become Miss Universe? <laughs> <laughs> Aside from genetics one, and coaching. Yeah, I was going to say genetics. <laughs> I think you're, yeah, you do need a genetic basis. You need to have a set physique. So like most bodybuilding, particularly the female classes are about sort of like their shoulders waist ratio so luckily i've got quite broad shoulders and a quite small waist so you've got that natural advantage but i think it's, it's just kind of having a plan and trusting 
but you can get there. I know a lot of people and also I used to like prep people for shows and an issue I always had with people who I was working with as well is everybody gets so caught up in there's always different voices giving them input so you'll go to the gym and this person's telling you this and that person's saying that and then you put a picture on Instagram and somebody's got a comment to make and I think it's really difficult to focus on just one set of guidance particularly when you're competing and your head's adults but I think that's probably the most important thing is you need that one person who you completely trust and you respect their opinion and that's how you're going to get to your best because you can't you can't do anything well if you're listening to everybody else's input and yeah I guess the next one is just kind of well it's probably so having the discipline obviously is like, probably the hardest thing I have ever done is so difficult and anybody who says it's not is just lying because you're tired you're hungry you're exhausted for the majority of the competitions I did as well I was still teaching full-time so just like the time demands of it I was getting up at 5am to do cardio to prep food to go and do a full day of work going to the gym coming home eating prepping more food going out and doing more cardio you just go to bed so it's like the discipline but you've kind of got to be really selfish too which is the main reason why I stopped competing because I just think it is so selfish and you just have to be so wrapped up in yourself, which is horrible to say and everybody who competes is probably going to hate me. um, (laughs) I think deep down they all know, right? (laughs) Yeah, but you do. And I think you've got to acknowledge that to be able to do well at it because you've got to put yourself ahead of everybody else. So you mentioned the disciplines part. It's funny, you outsourced your success to your genetics and your coach, which I wanted to try and avoid. <laughs> then you got to discipline, which is the good part. So what made you start? Obviously, you, you took to the fact that you were good at it, but there's a lot of people who have tons of potential, but they can't back it up with the work ethic. So what allowed you to build that type of discipline and that work ethic? I think I've just always, I've always been quite disciplined. I've always, like when I was at school, I used to have horses and I used to get up at like 6am in the morning to go down to the stables to make sure my horses were fed and clean and out for the day before I went to school. It's just something I've always mm-hmm. done. Like if you've got something to do, you just get up and do it and not letting yourself have that excuse. I was supposed to my clients who train in the morning. I think like getting up and training at like 6, 7am is the best thing you can do because you've kind of done it before you've even realized what you're doing. Yeah, so, that's true. Like, yeah. If you get up, you get dressed, you get to the gym. It's only kind of when you're driving there, but you're like, oh, like, <laughs> I'm on my way to the gym because you just, the automatic routine takes over. So I think that's kind of something that I'm quite good at doing, just kind of doing things without thinking about them, particularly like in a morning or you just go to the gym. It was just something I did. And I was used to like make myself go straight from work. I'd take my clothes in the car so that. I didn't have the chance to go home, decide whether or not I actually wanted to go to the gym that evening. Like it's just building the routine and the structure, which I, I really thrive off structure. I absolutely love it. Mm, which really that's helps. interesting. Yeah. I was going to say you almost facilitated, you made it too easy to not happen, right? Like you obviously had yeah. everything packed. You got up at the right time in the morning before you could even think about it. So I think that's, that's a really good takeaway for people who are potentially struggling with that. I'm always very keen for people to get to like, some of the, something maybe they consider the hardest done earliest in the day, right? It's like, it's not necessarily about willpower reserve, but when you look at 
your hormones, your neurotransmitters and everything, everything is kind of primed to get you going in the early stages of the day, especially if it's training as well. Um, but then obviously yeah. if you're adding in things at the end of the day, which are kind of non-conducive to rest and everything along those lines. So I think that's, that's a good takeaway as well. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, actually, I want to ask a quick question. What did your primary yeah. school kids think about having a bodybuilder teacher? <laughs> I bet they loved it. They used to think it was hilarious. Yeah, no, they absolutely loved it. It was the best thing ever when I used to, because I obviously compete on a weekend and then go into school on a Monday. And I'd, I'd be so brown from the tan. Uh, <laughs> children were like, Miss, why are you so brown? Like, what's wrong with you? But yeah, no, they, they thought it was funny. They just thought it was weird. And yeah, it'd be like, I used to have toffees with them all when they did the spelling tests and things. Be like, why aren't you eating toffees now? So it's diet time. Like we've got a diet again now. That must be quite good for having as, as an example. I know it's obviously on the competitive end, so it's probably on the more extreme end of things. But, you know, when I look at the teachers that I had in school, none of them were necessarily particularly in shape. So it might have been good to just have that idea of maybe planting the seed of, oh, she's not eating because she's she's working towards something. And then, like you said, you come off the back of a win on the weekend. And I, I think it must have been quite good for them. So maybe, obviously, kids are very impressionable. So it's a potentially see that do you know any of the kids now do you know if they any of them are into fitness or bodybuilding or i haven't kept, no i haven't come to touch many of them actually i think primary is like a weird one isn't it because they're so young bless them but yeah no the kids loved it but i actually had loads of issues um so i had issues with my head teacher when i was competing so yeah i know that was something that like almost got me into trouble because I had a picture in the newspaper and it was flagged up as like being inappropriate because of what I was wearing and obviously like children's parents could see it and things, which was something I'd never even considered. Like it was, yeah, when that came up, I was a bit like, oh, okay. But yeah, it was something they, they kind of agreed to let me continue doing. But it was just little things like changing my name on Instagram and Facebook so that it wasn't linked to like my full name. So if anybody saw my photos, they couldn't link it back to the school that I was at. That's really interesting. Like I kind of see where they're coming from, but it's not like yeah. you're just, you know, in your underwear outside your house, right? It's like, yeah. th- <laughs> this is part and parcel of the sport. It's almost like, I know it's changing now, but it's almost like if you're playing volleyball and you're wearing short shorts, it's like, that is part of the sport at this moment in time, of course. But you know, you are presenting your physique it's not like again you're taking selfies on instagram and just being yeah, yeah. half naked it's yeah so it's a completely different story so I, I i appreciate the fact they let you continue and i also see but that's an interesting one it is interesting isn't it it's one of those things i remember going home talking to my parents about it and they were like oh yeah like mm. once you consider both sides you kind of understand it but um, yeah, but it doesn't cross yeah. your mind. It didn't even, I didn't even, that didn't even occur to me. So that's a really interesting side point. So coming on to your decision to stop bodybuilding, what did that look like? Did, did you just determine, okay, this is not for me anymore. I'm done with being selfish. Or was it like, I'm content with what I've achieved now? Um, so I competed again after I was unwell. So sort of won the universe prior to that and then decided to compete again in a different category. So built a bit more muscle and decided to compete again and kind of go for my pro card. And for me, like I'm really glad that I did do that again. I think it gave me something to focus on. But then I kind of, it was so expensive. <laughs> was one of the factors. I got into like the NPC competitions. Um, so like entry fee alone, the tanning, it was one of those where you have to have it done at the venue by their official tanners. My second competition I did, I ended up going abroad to Alicante to compete. And I kind of, I came second twice and sort of just missed my pro card. And I remember like sitting down and adding up how much money I'd spent on it. 
uh, I kind of had the revelation of, right, well, what happens if I win my pro cards? Am I just going to continue spending like thousands and thousands of pounds every competition that I do? Like, I think it's, it's a sad, it's, it's quite depressing to sort of think like this, but I think I kind of had the realization that it was never going to be something that like I was the best in the world at. Like I was good at it, but I was never going to be like the top of the top pros where I was actually making an, a living off of it. So I kind of had to go, right, well, when am I going to be happy? Like, am I always going to be chasing for that next thing? There's the health implications as well. So I, yeah, it's still, un- we don't know, but it's still unclear if when I was ill, if it was linked to the fact that the year before I had been competing, 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 I had been dieting really hard for like the best part of the year. So I kind of had like the health aspect of it, the money aspect of it, the fact that I was just going to be constantly chasing the next goal regardless of what level I got to. So I kind of just went, oh, actually, like, is it something that I need to be doing long term? Yeah. And then I think when I stopped was kind of when I then realized mostly how selfish it was as well. (laughs) And like, just little things like going on holidays. And my mom always used to be like, oh, what, like, when does Amy need to go to the gym? Like, when are you going to eat? Like where? And I used to be looking at menus and like choosing restaurants from places that I could eat. And it was only when I stopped doing that. And I was like, Oh no, I don't need to go to the gym. I'm on holiday. And people are like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is nice. Amy's fun to so, be around again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you kind of go, Oh, like actually then you kind of get back into reality as well. And you, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're kind of more in the normal circle, whereas bodybuilding, you can be very much in like your own little bodybuilding clique and all your friends are doing the same thing. And yeah, yeah. It's, good for the, it's good for the motivation to do it, but it's easy to kind of get wrapped up in it. For sure. And have you been able to satisfy yeah. that competitive edge? Will you ever compete in bodybuilding or anything again? I don't know. I don't know. I think... For me at the moment, like my main focus is my business. And I think you can kind of get that. It's almost like that competitive edge with yourself when you see that you're doing better than you have done previously, your clients are getting better results than previously. And you kind of, yeah, it's like that self-progression, but in a completely different sense. Yeah, no, I totally um, understand. You just bring in that to a yeah. different area of your life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't Go always ahead. need that like direct competition as such because you can work on areas without having to be against somebody else which i think is a really healthy mindset but i know a lot of people who come out of sport they really struggle with that identity shift right they especially bodybuilders they only identify as a bodybuilder right they don't want to really yeah. be they don't even want to be seen as anything else so to, for you to take, kind of take a very rational approach to say yeah i'm kind of done with this now like i'm going to park this area of my life and you know be someone else was that transition smooth or did do you have any kind of mental repercussions any and also from a physiological aspect did you have to recover quite a lot from all your years of competing or because I know actually on that note you've kind of you mentioned on one of the podcasts I listened to you proactively started to put on some body fat so can you talk us through that journey yeah so I did um oh I can't I can never remember her name when it tried to Stephanie Buttermore yeah that going all in um (laughs) yeah so I did that so I had a lot of like hormonal issues from competing basically like my estrogen levels were just absolutely tanked from from the competing from the stress from the under eating and yeah sort of like lost my menstrual cycle for the best part of probably three years which is yeah not something that's really productive and yeah for me it was kind of when I was coming up to like turning 30 and I went oh okay like actually if people want kids you kind of need to be in a good spot 
by the time you want, well, obviously by the time you want to try for children. And I thought, right, okay, now's the time where I really need to like get that in check. There's something I want the possibility at in the future. And I remember one of my friends, one of my best friends, she's a GP who I actually know through bodybuilding. She also used to compete and she was sort of sending me these links. It's something she'd also had issues with, experiences with. And we both kind of got really into <laughs> Stephanie Buttermore um, and like her YouTube. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. Um, I'd just come out of com- like a photo shoot for a company I used to work for. So we did like a, a team shoot and just come out of that. I was quite lean again. It was coming up to Christmas and I just went, right, okay, I'm actually just going to eat like when I want to eat, which was a completely mad concept for me at the time. It was really, it was really odd. And I think because I'd been dieting for so many years as well, I used to just be hungry all the time. I was just always so hungry. Uh, (laughs) I could have eaten and eaten and eaten and eaten. So it was kind of getting my head around, right, okay, I need to eat when I'm hungry. But when am I hungry? Because I usually just eat when it's time to eat because I'm always hungry. <laughs> so yeah, it was a bit of a scary experience, but it's definitely something that like benefited me. And I know it's something that I have recommended to people around me and like previous clients when they are kind of in that position and actually just overcoming that fear of getting fat. Like most of the time you won't get fat. You're kind of just fluctuate up a bit and then you will gradually level back off Mm -hmm. and i know personally during maybe the cut and bulk cycles i've done in the past to use a very poor term um you're okay with gaining fat in the purpose of knowing that it's for a purpose right when you're bodybuilding and you're quote-unquote bulking you're doing it for the purpose of gaining muscle gaining as much tissue as possible then dropping down again so to do it just for the sake of doing it must have been an interesting transition what did that do for like your body confidence because you've got to be confident to step on the stage in a bikini so how how was your confidence thereafter especially around your body and the way that you presented yourself especially around being a trainer as well because obviously i'm sure that wasn't that's probably not what you think of when you're you're wanting to be a personal trainer. If someone's asking you, hey, what was your diet like? And you're like, oh, I just eat whatever I want. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> Anything and everything. Yeah, I think there's a lot I think there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure put on personal trainers. I don't know if you like found this as well, but mm. it's kind of like the way you look and it's almost I can't remember who it was, but some one of like the PT gurus used to be like, You are like your own advert and that was kind of like the big hype of the time that you were like your your business card and you need to be in the best shape because people wouldn't trust you. Yeah, like is that something you've experienced as well? Kind of that pressure to be in a certain shape and yeah, much more in the yeah. past, right? Much more in the past, especially when you are a younger trainer, you're a smaller trainer, you're not taking up much space on the floor. So you, you mm-hmm. feel that you need to. And I, I know a lot of time, yeah, a long time ago, a lot of people would say that they would go to the biggest guy in the gym on the most shit in shape. And then it was exacerbated when I worked for the same company that you did. And the one guy was like, yeah. you're, ne- you're never going to be any good unless you're, unless people see that you've got physical presence. And I was like, okay, <laughs> but yeah. then, you know, <laughs> obviously I've transitioned out of that and I realized that your clients care about you being in shape, but unless you are specifically attracting bodybuilders or athletes, 
they're okay with you just being in shape and not being a hyper athlete. And I think this might be, I've had conversations with people about this before. This might be a bad thing, but now that people are mostly online based, they can hide behind a computer. I know some trainers don't even train anymore and they get clients. And I, I don't think that's the way to go. I think that's too far on the opposite end. I think that most trainers should be in shape. You know, that what that is defined as is sound to them. But I feel there's far less pressure, but probably perhaps because you're behind a computer. But I couldn't imagine meeting one of my clients in the future and just being like completely overweight, out of shape, never training. Like I just don't know how I could possibly do that personally. But I think there's a it's, it's easier for people to hide now, especially if they're not on the gym floor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I think it's probably positively shifted but again I, I do agree with what you say it can be at risk of going too far and I know as well like I have all my well a lot of my clients on sort of Apple Watch and things so if I do a session <laughs> they get a notification <laughs> yeah but I think like I've had clients before say to me like oh you did cardio yesterday or like oh I got your notification saying you finished your session and that motivated me to go to the gym so I think you've kind of we've always got to remember that actually that is part of our job as well is to sort of lead by example, which yeah, all my clients, they don't care how I look. They care if I'm in shape. They care if I'm like excited about training. If I'm trying out different things, I can then pass on to them, which is something I do a lot of in my sessions. I could be like, Oh, I've seen, seen this. I want to like trial out this session and then I'll pass it on to my clients. Cause I know it's a good session because I've done it myself. So yeah, yeah. I think in that I completely sense. agree with that. And coming back to your own personal feeling about your body, right? It's a completely big transition from being shredded with abs to probably being the most overweight intentionally you've ever been in your life. So how did that personally impact you? Or was it that same thing of knowing it was for a purpose so being able to accept it more? Yeah, I think, I know you spoke about force of bulking and cutting. And I think that's easy because you know there's a cut coming. And I think that was the difference for me is that I was like, oh, okay, I'm getting fatter and I'm just going to stay fat for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's almost quite depressing. But yeah, I think like body confidence wise now, like I know I feel strong. So for me, eating more as well, you've got more energy, like you feel better. You can go out on an evening and have fun. And yeah, you've kind of got that lifestyle so you're always going to feel better in yourself when you're actually well fed. <laughs> You've got some energy about yourself as well. But yeah, as well, I think like, I know how I said before, like Instagram and social media, that's now as well, more accepting of different body shapes, different sizes, which really helps. Yeah, I think you've just kind of got to take yourself as you are, haven't you? you everyone else can just, yeah, have their no, own I opinion and just not say it if it's not necessary. I appreciate what you're saying, but it's the same way that you yeah. did it. You were last to mention discipline when I asked you about it earlier. It's like, it's <laughs> not an easy thing for most people to do, right? Especially, like I said, you identified as a bodybuilder. You did really well in that and you could have stuck with that for years and years. And, you know, it was great that you didn't then prioritize things like your menstrual cycle. Did it, did that return in the end after your, yeah. 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 So it works. Yeah. It did work. I'm um, doing that. And I think, yeah, I think it's it's something that, like I said, I've recommended to like ex-clients and friends. And I know other people around me that have done the same sort of thing. I know the concept of it was like, you don't just have to, what is it? Like if you've dug the hole, you don't just have to stop digging. You have to then fill that hole back in. That's good and yeah, no, def yeah, it definitely, it definitely worked. It definitely made sense. So for me, like my health is always going to be more important. My energy is going to be more important. You say my business now and just sort of the lifestyle that I have. And I think you've got to, obviously, everyone feels better if they're in shape. But 
there's different types of in shape. You don't have to have abs to be in shape. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you see that going long term with the fitness industry and the industry in general? I'm not even in the industry, but people's perceptions of what your body should and shouldn't look like. Obviously, we were five gap size zero. We were thicker. We are now in the body acceptance phase. Where where do you see it going next? I think it's just going to stay here now. I don't know. I think I was having this conversation actually the other day with one of my clients because we were talking about like racism and things and how the younger generation nowadays are much more aware of like gender, like sex, everything, like racism. It's kind of just the younger generations, my brother and sister are like 21 and no, 22 and 20. And they're very good with things like that. They're very good with what's acceptable to say, even like more so than myself. I'm only 10 years older than them. And I actually think that's that's also going to be seen in like the way that people should look and um, like size and shape and fitness and everything else. I feel like the generation below us are just that little bit better again than we are. And just that little bit more accepting of other people, which I think is just going to continue on. That's interesting. I'm generally quite pessimistic. No, I think I don't. I feel like that what ha- tends to happen, it's let's take an example of technology, right? It's that mm-hmm. it goes to a point in which, you know, you take it to one end of the extreme and then it tends to come back around, right? It's like you, you see the progression of technology and now you see people instead of wearing AirPods, they're wearing wires again because everyone else is wearing AirPods and I want to look yeah. <laughs> like I don't care about wearing AirPods. So I feel like everyone's going to get to a point and potentially where body acceptance is the thing. And I think that's amazing. And I think, again, I have a lot of different opinions on this. I've had this discussion with people before is that I think that yes, we should totally accept it, but we shouldn't then demonize things like weight loss or, or things along those lines. If people oh, no, want no. to, Exactly. So I think they can be taken to extreme, but I think that with the way that culture has essentially created these ideals in the sense of, like I said, what it was like back in the early 2000s, Kim Kardashian, JLo era, where we are now and more towards the fitness influencers and them holding a little bit of body fat and having more shapes to them. I just wonder if it's just going to take a big cultural shift and and someone being the figurehead of what all women and men potentially aspire to, and then they are thin. And then that cycle just continues. I feel like that that could potentially happen. That was just a shower thought. So I don't know if there's any rational to it, but I see it potentially going down that way. But I think as well, it's just always important to remember that just because that's the ideal, it doesn't mean that's how you're going to look. I'm even if it does go back to that, I have (laughs) some hefty shoulders on me. Like I always (laughs) have had since I was a child, my bones in my shoulders are massive. I'm never going to be that shape. So for me, it's like I'm a completely different shape to that I would never then try to aspire to be that because it's just not the way that my body is built and that's amazing you've yeah, accepted think, you know you've accepted parts of who you are right yeah I don't know I feel like everyone you kind of just get to that point when you get older I don't know if that's just me or everyone else <laughs> <laughs> I am too tired to worry about what everybody else is thinking I think it's a good place to be I think it's yeah, yeah. again from a long-term health perspective I think I always think of it this way is that usually if you are in your 30s if you are even in your 40s you've probably got more of your life ahead of you than you've got behind you so I think that that change in thought process towards okay what really matters here is is a huge one so coming on to you as a trainer and a coach and obviously the work you do with clients I actually read your post earlier today about 
crash diets, which I thought was uh, quite a contrarian point to make, considering the main narrative around January is there is aspects of people saying, okay, you need to get on point. There's a lot of people saying, okay, let's avoid crash diets or like really focused diets for the first four weeks. What your what was your thoughts behind posting that? And what message were you trying to invoke in people when you were posting that earlier today? It was, again, one of the conversations I had with one of my clients that kind of made me post that. So the idea that actually, if you're just going to go hard, so say a lot of us intend, so people set out on a diet in January and they'll fully intend to do this for like the next three months. But really, they know we're not going to because they've already got, particularly in Dubai, like a brunch books on the first weekend of February and they've got a date on Valentine's Day and then they're going away in the first week of March and you you kind of, your intention's there, but you know that realistically it's not going to get to that point. So a conversation I've had with a few of my clients is, right, okay, January, you're doing dry January, none of your friends are going out for dinner, everyone's really focused. Actually, for this month, if you can fit in 45 minutes of cardio every day, do it. Because, yeah, you're not going to be doing it for the whole 12 weeks. But actually, if you can do that now, and you can commit to that because you've got less social occasions, you're feeling really motivated, you've got that little bit of guilt from Christmas, which is kind of pushing you through and making you get out of bed in the morning. Then if you do that for one month, you're going to be a month ahead when you hit February and you've got these occasions planned and yeah, your motivation is going to be waning a little bit, but that's going to happen regardless of how hard you go. So it's kind of like ride that wave whilst it's there. And yeah, say you, you can diet a little bit lower than you would if you were going to stick to it religiously for 12, 16 weeks, then do it for those four. And where do people go after the four? Well, most people will resume some sort of normality. So a lot of my clients are kind of longer term. So they've been doing some sort of dieting. And obviously it's varying success there. They're dieting, but they do have a meal out every now and again. They will have a weekend away. And you've kind of got those stumbling blocks. So it's kind of like go hard and then go back to that, right? This is, we're trying our best (laughs) mentality kind of thing. Got you. So you'd say basically go for anything that you can throughout January based on where your motivation levels are at and then to resume some form of sustainability thereafter? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, if I'm honest, I completely agree. And um, I've been speaking about motivation a lot and I'm like, hey, most other times of the year, you have to earn or not even earn, but you have to have some type of tipping point. You have to have some type of epiphany. Like maybe it's you're going on holiday and that's the thing that motivates you. Maybe it's that photo that you didn't like the look of. Maybe it was that doctor's report that wasn't good. But in January, you kind of get this free boost of motivation. So I'm like, jump on it. Yeah, capitalize on it. But just be aware that it's not going to be lasting you forever. So, and I think all of us, we have a really good, we have a really good gauge of seeing where motivation begins, but we have a terrible understanding of how long our motivation is going to last or how disciplined we can be long-term. We know that we can do it initially. We know when motivation is with us, but we're very misguided at saying, okay, it's going to stop at this point. But I think if you identify, and this is what I've been saying to a lot of people, I'm like, okay, maybe in February, maybe you go out on your own in um, January. Maybe you sign up to five sessions a week. But when it gets to February, you automatically have a new plan. You don't even wait for that motivation to drop. You say, okay, in February, I'm going to start with the coach because I, because I, I know my tendencies and propensities. In, in February, I'm going to drop down to three sessions because I know that you know five isn't going to be long-term. So don't wait for that motivation to run out. I completely agree with you. So like capitalize on it whilst it's there. And then when the time comes, don't wait for yourself just to go from zero to hundred to zero, because that's what tends to happen, right? We just let the motivation run out and we drop. If you have a plan for when that drops, I think that can be a really powerful approach, actually. 
and sort of ride back onto it. I think with January as well, the blessing is that, like you say, it's like a free burst of motivation that everybody gets. Mm-hmm. Whereas I know I've tried dieting in June and all your friends are in like barbecue mode, nights out, like, and you're trying to battle against that. Whereas the ja- good thing about January is everybody's on the same wavelength. Everybody's kind of got that burst at once, which makes it a really good time to push. Yeah, exactly. And again, another thing is that people won't be surprised if you say, I just want to keep things a little bit tighter, both from a health and fitness perspective, but also from a financial perspective. Like, hey, I don't want to go out drinking because of, yeah, I want to hold back. So I think, yeah, like you said, it's a good opportunity to start those habits. So for those starting in January, that's one real good tip, I think. What are two others that you're kind of giving to your clients at this moment in time? I think kind of scheduling. So like I said previously about kind of doing things automatically. So building in those routines that you're doing things automatically. So even if it's something like have your vitamins in the morning with your coffee, so that it's like habit linking. So you're linking it to something that you're already doing to kind of take the thought out of things. And just doing that as much as you possibly can. Again, like I said earlier, like putting your gym kit in your car and going straight to the gym from work. So you're just kind of scheduling things in. You're taking the thought process out of things that you're doing and like I said before, kind of creating those habits. And then, yeah, I don't know, again, probably going back to what we said before about just having a plan, having a, having a plan. So when you, if you are new to the gym and it is intimidating and you are kind of battling that fear of getting in there in the first place, just knowing what you're doing when you're getting in and yeah, I'm glad you've hammered home that point because it's actually very underrated, right? It's You wouldn't go into anything else without a plan. So even if you go into a supermarket, you're going over the shopping list and you know what you like without one, right? You don't know where you're going. Yeah. You float around the aisles, <laughs> you pick up whatever, right? So uh, in yeah. the gym where you're you you know you're more intimidated, it is, it's such a valuable point and I'm glad you've made it quite a couple of times. So with that being said, what does the future look like professionally and personally for Amy? I think continuing on with what I'm doing really. So I'm expanding on my online business. Um, I find, yeah, I find it's particularly now I'm based in Dubai and I've got a few sort of, I've got quite a a large number of clients in the UK and it's enabling me to still work with people I've previously worked with, which is great and work with new people in the UK. I'm lucky that I've lived in a lot of areas in the UK. So I've been in a hell of a lot of gyms over there. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing how many training plans I can write for clients in completely different cities. But yeah, sort of expanding on that and just helping more people and then continuing doing one-to-one. I know I spoke to you earlier and just, I love doing one-to-one training. So it's something for me that I get a real buzz out of being with people and being in the gym, seeing people work hard. Yeah. And health and fitness journey wise? For me, I think I'm, (laughs) oh, if I say this, I have to do it. I've been saying this for a while. I've been saying I'm going to try and lean out a little bit myself and do a photo shoot. Just for another another challenge for me, like I said before, I've kind of got to the point where my body's actually really healthy now and functioning well. And I feel like I'm kind of in a position where I can push again and get a little bit leaner without having any health side effects, which is not a position I've been in for a couple of years. So it's quite exciting to be able to diet down without worrying about what might happen from a health perspective. Will it be a gym-based shoot or a lifestyle-based shoot? Probably lifestyle. I think I only do photo shoots for Instagram. (laughs) 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 Let's face it. (laughs) It's just to keep my Instagram feed going. So yeah, I kind of prefer that look. Amazing. And you mentioned your Instagram. Where's the best people place for people to find you if they want to know more about you or know more about the work you do? Um, so yeah, on Instagram at, let me double check that. I can never remember my own handle. How embarrassing is that? 
Amy, Amy World's Fitness. I'm pretty certain I am. Yes, Amy World's Fitness. Amazing. I'll put that in the show notes so everyone can uh, go find you. But thank you so much for your time today, Amy. I think it's been a really, really valuable conversation. I think people are going to take a lot away from the side of the competitive side, the digging yourself out of that hole and refilling that hole, and also a lot of the January takeaways and the absolute, absolute thing they have to have, which is a plan going into their training, which I think is a really valuable takeaway. Okay, so thank you so much for being here, and um, I'll speak to you very soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.